Hi, I'm Adam Morton. Welcome to The Innovators. This episode's going to be a little different from what we've done so far in this series. We're taking a field trip to Flinders Island in Bass Strait. Until recently, the island relied on a diesel generator, which was less than ideal, not least because the 700 or so locals faced frequent blackouts. Now with electricity reliability at the centre of national debate, Hydro Tasmania has just turned on a new microgrid, a wind turbine and some solar panels backed up by a battery and other hardware. Innovators executive producer Dewey Cook hit the road to find out how the switch to clean energy is changing the lives of the people of Flinders Island. Your ancestors, they will wait for you. Your family will be by your side. That's Ronnie Summers singing songlines for the Moonbird, a song written by his wife Diane about the muttonbird fun right across their home of Flinders Island off the northeast coast of Tasmania. Ronnie remembers burning muttonbird oil as a kid in the 1950s when his family ran out of kerosene. What he describes is a scene completely at odds to where he finds himself today, singing this song in a welcome to country that he and Diane are giving at the official launch of the Flinders Island Hybrid Energy Hub. We used to... When we run out of kerosene and things like that, we used to make mutton bird, mutton bird fat, we used to call it, but mutton bird oil in a, can, in a tin about that big, half full of, half full of uh, sand and then make the wick and put the oil in and put the wick in and we had a light. We, we had kerosene lamps, um, kerosene fridges, kerosene irons, kerosene heaters, um, but no, no electricity. I didn't see an electric light until I was 13 years old, so in the mid-60s and then it was generated power for um, four or five hours a day. So a couple of hours of the morning and a few hours of the night and that was it, yep. Flinders Island is slow, it's quiet. To get here you take a wobbly light aircraft from Melbourne or Tassie or an eight-hour ferry ride into a patch of the stormy Bass Strait. It's dotted with cattle and sheep and at one point I spot a peacock dashing into the bushes, the descendant of birds brought out long ago by European settlers. There's less than a thousand residents on Flinders, but for many, reliable electricity has always been a bit elusive. Here's Will Classer and occasional wombat rescuer, Kate Mooney. You used to have to go and swing on the old Mac diesel to, to get power and you couldn't run the toaster and the kettle at the same time and things like that. And I still take a torch to bed, you know, I get up and, you know, if I have to get up in the night, I use my torch. <laughs> Kate works at Bowman's News Agency on the main street of Whitemark, Flinders Island's biggest township. The shop's owned by Lois Island and it's been in her family for 90 years. The story of Bowman's on the island sort of follows the story of Flinders Island. Let's just walk over mm. to something over here that's intriguing to me. Um, what am I looking at right here? It's a, it's a green... Um, machine yeah, of some it's kind. Amazing. So it's a, actually a calculating scale. I remember as a kid these scoops, these metal scoops. Um, we had big bins that pulled out behind the counter, and there would be sugar and flour and currants and raisins. And it was my job after school to fill up the bags of so many pounds in these little paper bags. And it's not so long ago in the memory of locals like Lois and Kate that centralised power came to Flinders Island. A short history of electricity there describes the night in 1984 when the then warden of the island gave a speech under hissing gas lamps before inviting the Premier to flick the switch and finally bring electricity to the township of Lady Barron. But even still, blackouts are a part of life. 
But on Flinders Island, people just don't seem bothered by them. People understand that, well, if you live here, that's what you've got to put up with. Uh, my name's Michael Buck. Um, I grew up here and so the, my history is uh, with the island has been long and, uh, and passionate, I guess I could say. If you're living in the city and the power's off for five minutes, you'd be complaining and, and there'd be riots in the streets, whereas here it's just, oh yeah, well, the power's gone off. Uh, so, I, you know, I haven't noticed it as, and you don't, it's not the sort of thing that people are complaining about. They'll comment about it, but it's not a, not a major issue as far as the locals are concerned. I don't think it ever has been. The community on Flinders likes to see itself as clean and green. They've been drawing power from privately owned wind turbines for years, and heaps of the houses here have solar panels on the roof or solar hot water systems. HydroTAS expects that its new hybrid hub, which is partly funded by Arena, will reduce power outages on the island from a couple times a month to once or twice every few years. But the weather on Bass Strait will play into that and by all accounts it can get pretty wild. Locals say winds blow up to 70 or 80 kilometres an hour and winters are tough, wet. But even when the wind's blowing a gale and it's pelting with rain, there's beauty to be found in the wildness of it all. Aaron Daw and I chat at the base of the new 900 kilowatt wind turbine that'll feed a bunch of electricity into the grid. You can hear how windy it is, but Aaron tells me that it's a mild day on the island. He's the production manager at the power station, and he says that he counts his blessings every day for the life that he's made there. Flinders is one of those places um, that, no matter what the conditions are, it's it's beautiful in its own right. You know, like, um, there's always something. Yeah, it's always changed. HydroTaz's new power station has been operating since November, aiming to display 60% of diesel generation. And on launch day, it had clocked up 83 hours straight of renewable generation for the island. It's, it's a real uh, good thing for the future and, and the young kids that live here to have something to brag about. Day we cook there on Flinders Island. I'm here with Ray Massey, the Hybrid Energy Solutions Manager at Hydro Tasmania. How are you, Ray? Oh, good, thanks. How are you? Very well. Now, for those who don't know, Hydro Tas is the island state's government-owned energy generating company. And Ray, it's fair to say you've worked there for a little while? It's a little while now. I just celebrated 30 years. Right. Okay. Congratulations. So that takes you back to a period I'm about to talk about. I want to talk about Flinders Island. But before we get there, let's talk a bit about King Island, just a bit to the west in Bass Strait. I remember going there as a child in the 1980s. My mother's from King Island and sure. visiting my grandparents' farm. And they had an on-site diesel generator, which uh, was only turned on when needed at night for a bit of light. They had a, an old fridge that ran on kerosene. And coming from the city, it was another world. And a far cry from what we know living in just about all of Australia these days. And there was a transformation that started on King Island not that long after that that was a bit of a forerunner for what's happening on Flinders Island. Can you tell us a bit about what happened to yeah. modernise electricity generation on King Island? That's right. Right through the 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of self-generation on the islands, uh, both of them. Um, it was in the mid-80s, 86 in particular, when there was uh, central diesel power stations developed for both King and Flinders Island, so that could be distributed around the island. But King Island in particular has been our um, test bed, shall we say, for over a lot of years now, um, right through from the 90s when the HydroTAS first uh, looked into wind generation. So we installed some wind turbines up there in the late 90s and displaced some of the diesel. And since then, we've been using the site to develop 
a large array of technologies and approaches uh, with increased renewables to learn how to fully manage a lot of renewable in a, uh, a small system. So those technologies have been developed through several projects over that period and culminated in you know, some showcase projects there that have now been deployed on Flinders and uh, other parts around the country. The King Island project was a bit of an agenda setter in a way, wasn't it? It was the first of its kind. Was it the first project to get renewable energy certificates in Australia? Is yes, that right? that's right. The wind turbines there, we've got uh, the very first uh, REC certificate uh, still framed in our office at work that we display quite proudly. So what did you learn from that um, now in renewable energy terms, really historic project that was useful in designing what's now happening on Flinders? In particular, in the context of a remote location, the way you deploy and use these technologies uh, can be very different to, say, a, a mainland grid sort of setup, shall we say. Cost imposts, uh, the practicalities and logistics of getting equipment to site, and when things go, you know, maybe awry on site, the, the time frames involved in um, you know, fixing that sort of thing. So that has led us to a different deployment method uh, we've used on Flinders that uh, addresses a lot of the issues we found with working in remote locations. So what was that deployment method? How have you done it differently? So what we've done is effectively uh, modularized the, uh, the technologies. And by the technologies, I mean um, battery systems, uh, dynamic resistors, flywheel systems that are used. So we've put them in effectively shipping containers but uh, shipping containers have been designed you know, specifically for that purpose, such that we can test the equipment in factories where all the specialists are uh, off-site prior to going to site. So iron out a lot of the bugs that may occur at a given project, and by the time we get to site, we're down to um, probably two or three months to deploy the system on site as compared to in the past probably 18 months, two years. Okay, well, that's much quicker. And we should talk about exactly what this equipment is. So what, in terms of scale, has been installed and just started running on Flinders? Well, on Flinders Island, traditionally there's been a total of three megawatts of diesel in four machines that have been used on the island. In recent years, there was the first large installation of uh, renewables in the form of a 300 kilowatt wind turbine. Now, that was um, installed... Uh, by a private operator, so we have a um, power purchase agreement with them. For this project, we needed to increase the amount of renewables significantly. So we've installed another wind turbine, a 900 kilowatt wind turbine, so a significant uh, increase, uh, along with uh, 200 kilowatts of uh, solar PV. Now, to manage that much larger amount of renewables, we've had to put in what we, we call enabling technologies. So in themselves, they don't uh, generate electricity, but they enable a lot more of the renewable energy to be put into the system. Because traditionally, if in a system like these remote uh, locations, they're very sensitive to changes in the, in the generation. So for example, you might have a lot of wind in the system and the wind drops out. Um, the system generally can't respond in time and that's when you get blackouts and things like that. And traditionally, the islands have had a lot of those. Just to put that in context, how often are there blackouts or have there been blackouts on Flinders? can be as often as a few a month. It's something, I guess over the years, as a, you know, the locals sort of get used to that sort of thing. I mean, there'd be changes over time in the past, they were all self-generated sort of thing, and that changes to sort of central, but they're used to that. But now, 
the experience if it's anything like the changes on King, that's now we've had one blackout in the last two to three years. So it's a significant change. So we've gone from a few a month to, and the hope is that Flinders will rival yeah, King. We don't see there'll be any change to that. You've got your uh, privately owned turbine that's been there for a while mm-hmm. and the new uh, three times larger mm-hmm. uh, right. Hydro-Taz turbine and some uh, solar array, battery and a flywheel. Now, this is a significant shift, I assume, from it being just renewable energy as an intermittent source of electricity to actually being dispatchable if you've got a battery and a flywheel. Can you explain a bit about um, how that works? We can now manage the system in such a way that the problem you generally have a lot of variation and the the chance that wind or solar may drop out at any given time, so a cloud comes over, would generally mean you would always need to have your diesels running online at a reasonable load so they can pick that up. What we've done is managed to use some technologies that effectively put a lot more inertia in the system such that we can have the entire island generated um, with a load matched by renewable energy with the main diesel switched off, which is quite eerie when you're in a diesel power station and it's deadly silent. But the technologies there such as the dynamic resistor, the flywheel and the batteries, they allow us to cover that variability. So they, they will, one, smooth out that, that um, variability in the renewable generation. But if something drops out, they buy us the time to bring those main diesels back online if needed. Effectively, at the output of the station, it appears no different to any other form of generation. So the customer doesn't see any of that going on in the background. So it just rolls on so that locals wouldn't know the difference about where it's That's going. right. And that, that's a fully automated system. So at the heart of that is control system that HydroTaz has developed. And once you get to these more complex sites with all these elements into play, you need that rapid response uh, dynamic automation to the, to the entire system to keep it all matched. So that's at the heart of what we've achieved as well. So the diesel generator will still be there and operating. What's the expectation about how much of the electricity on the island will be renewable versus that from the old generator? Well, the modelling to date shows that we should achieve around about 60% of the annual energy used will be generated by renewables um, and up to maybe half of the time uh, across a year, those diesels will be switched off. So we'll have long periods of 100% renewables. Now, to give that bit of context, to date on Flinders, uh, as of its uh, operation state in the last few weeks, it's achieved tens of hours, uh, not quite a full day yet. But, for example, King Island has operated now, its record is 69 hours continuously with no diesels running. So that's almost three days that the entire load of the island has been met with purely renewable energy with no diesels running, which... Uh, King was the first uh, station in, in the world to do that at this megawatt scale. It's now been done three times. Um, the other two are at Flinders Island and Kubapiti, which was Hydro-Taz's design as well. And King Island has an incredible wind resource. I mean, it's it's really, really windy. What's what's the resource like on Flinders? Um, believe, believe it or not, it's actually slightly better. Really? Um, yes. It's just the, the, the local topography where the, the wind turbine is on Flinders um, there's this beautifully nice shaped um, ridge line, um, not far from the station. So it actually, the average wind speed there is slightly higher than at King Island. It's regardless a huge change, I imagine, for locals who've lived with diesel for 
decades now, and there's always a devil you know attitude in some places. What was the conversation that Hydro Taz had to have with Flinders Islanders about this change, and what sort of response did you get? Yeah, well, right from day one, um, we're a strong believer in um, getting involved and engaging with the local community. What you find, and I mean, we see this a lot because we do a lot of um, work with remote communities across Australia and in the Pacific, um, and there's a very strong sense of ownership on these islands. So coming in and making bulk changes um, just as an authority doesn't work. You've got to engage uh, with the community. So we you know, came up with a plan and but set off on a journey of um, gauging from, you know, initially, I guess, with the council and that sort of level. Um, and to their credit, the Flinders Islanders had already you know, sort of got together and said, like, what do we want for our community? We want, and we love the, you know, the clean living here. We want that for our entire sort of island. Um, so they've already developed a plan to take themselves to 100% renewable. So in some ways it was easy to engage with them on that level because they were already understanding you know the future and the impact and what this means for the planet that was at a, at a whole community level but we also made the opportunity to talk to individuals because everybody has you know a particular can have a particular impact on themselves so we did things like going to the local supermarket on the wednesday when the boat comes in and everybody gets their groceries and you know gave an opportunity to chat and stop and talk face-to-face um, meetings or catch-ups or kitchen table catch-ups and that sort of thing with individuals that they wanted to talk uh, separately have a meal at the pub and we'll, we'll present to you you know sort of where how we're going about things questions like well why do you why are you going to put the turbine there so we actually stopped and went right through the process well this is how we come up with a spot like that um you know this area over here yes it might look good but there's eagle nests there, near there so you keep away and went through that whole process of how to you know how we go about it so there's no well, we're just going to do this. It's trying to engage them the whole time. There's a, a really strong sense on the island of um, engaged and own, they sort of own the, and we might be the custodians of the power station operator, but, you know, <laughs> it's kind of really the islanders. And that sort of ownership doesn't happen overnight. How long did you have to put into the consultation to get there? Years. I guess when you look back at the entire process of the, the Flinders Island project, um, I mean, we say, okay, potentially is uh, just a few months to put things on site, but that investigation, development, and looking at the um, the approvals you need and that sort of thing, I mean, it, it goes, does go back you know, a good couple of years. So we started that engagement process at the outset of that. How realistic is it that the island could be 100% renewable? With what we've put in, in place, um, I mean, the way I describe it is you think of it as, as, as the backbone. So these enablers allow to put in more renewables and that sort of thing. How we arrived at the 60% penetration level or contribution level was largely driven by the economics at that point in time, the cost of you know, wind, the cost of batteries and so on. That's what, you know, we've got to be responsible to the state for the, the, the cost of these things. There is now the ability, say, another private landowner can put in a turbine and connect in, that sort of thing. The amount of um, the rooftop solar is increasing. The system is there now such that, yes, as those price points come down further and further, more and more can be put into the system and it's capable of taking that now. I mean, it's a big first step, but this is just the first step, really. It's going to continue to expand over time, you would expect. For the future of the island, yes. Yeah. Yes. The 
big question that comes out of this, and you you mentioned Cooperpedia is also using HydroTAS design for its microgrid. How broadly applicable is this sort of model, do you think? Well, there's, there's this thing called the globe that I think we, we can probably apply it to. <laughs> no, seriously, we there is so much diesel being used in Australia itself, in regional and remote communities. Um, there's a lot mining. The mining sector is one that could use this technology, particularly in the sense that this not only um, displaces their fossil fuel, but it's a very stable uh, way of doing it. And that's one thing the mining crowd uh, is keen on. The Pacific, we're doing a lot of work there, uh, advising and helping them to understand the challenges coming from the point of view of having done it ourselves and not only being a supplier of this stuff, but an operator of this stuff. So, and I mean, uh, Southeast Asia, there's so many islands. So with the technologies we've developed and also capabilities in the state here in Tassie, we've developed a lot of this deployable aspect of it with uh, businesses in the state. There's a big opportunity to leverage that, not only for Hydro Taz, but what the capabilities here to literally take it to the world. It's great to hear an optimistic story. Thanks, Ray. Thank you very much. That's it for this series of The Innovators. Thanks to executive producer Dewey Cook of Arena and producer Courtney Carthy from Nearly Media. Courtney also hosted series one of Rewired when he travelled across the country visiting large-scale solar farms and the communities around them. So be sure to check that out too. You can find all the past episodes from both series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We've really appreciated getting all your feedback during this series. And if you haven't already, please do give us a review. It will help other people find us. Thanks again for listening.